Thanks, Joe. Thank you, Matt. Hi, church. Sorry, uh, just bear with me a second. I'm getting set up here. Did I turn it on? So good afternoon, church. I'm Alex Lopez. For those of you who do not know me, I need to stand. Can you guys hear me? I know I speak very loud. Even when I turn this way? Okay. <laughs> um, for those of you who don't know me, I'm Alex Lopez, and I am part of the singles ministry here. And I have the privilege. Yeah, we have a singles ministry. Um, I have the privilege of delivering the sermon to you. Um, but before we go there, I just want to lift up uh, a few people. I want to lift up uh, the worship team in Santa Barbara. You guys are awesome. Did a really good job. Yeah. Thank you for um, encouraging us this way and making up a drive. Um, Justin, great lesson. Um, it's funny how God works because I feel a lot of what you said will echo in my uh, sermon. So it's really cool that God works that way. Um, something I like to do before um, I preach is I like to lift up people in our congregation um, because I think it's healthy for my heart for sure. Um, it's usually help, help, uh, healthy for the person that's listening, but also for the whole congregation. Um, today I want to lift up Pam and Dan. Um, I don't know how many of you guys know them. Yeah, they're awesome. Um, they were the first couple I met when I moved to Shoreline. Uh, I had just moved in, it was like my second day in the household, and they came to the household, brought all the ingredients, and we cooked together like a family. Um, and it was just such a loving time, so encouraging. Um, I'll start with Dan. Dan is, you know, my mentor, my hero. Um, he's so loving, so giving. He sacrifices so much. Uh, he has such a busy schedule, but he makes time for a bunch of people in our church. Yeah. I'm one of those people, and I'm a recipient of a lot of help. Uh, because of it um, But it's very genuine the time I spend with him is very genuine and he really loves God um, Which I respect and need um, and Pam if you don't know Pam too well, she's quiet But man is she awesome? I mean I've gone to her house and she opens the door the first thing she says is welcome home So hospitable so loving um, She has a great sense of humor, but you didn't hear that from me uh, um, I really appreciate that and Sometimes she'll send text messages out of her quiet time. Yeah. And it's so encouraging. She'll like highlight things, have little notes on there. Uh, it's amazing. Yeah. Um, so I just want to lift them up. I know they're not here. They're serving. Um, but if you see them, tell them Alex loves them. Tell them you love them. Okay. Oh. So today, uh, like I said, the lesson is without a king. And it's the story about the Levite and his concubine, which we find in the book of Judges. I don't know if any of you have read this story before. If you haven't, it'll probably still sound familiar. But I want to give you a disclaimer. It's tough. It's a difficult story to get through. The content in it is for mature people. It really is. It is very difficult and very painful. Um, but it has so many nuggets that we can draw out of it. Uh, it's only three chapters long. We're not going to read three chapters here. So you're going to get a Cliff Notes version of it. We'll read a little bit of it, and then we'll just dissect 
some of what's written in there. So, what is this story about? The story is about a Levite and his concubine, right? Um, I have an image there. I don't know if that's anything what it would look like, but that's what I imagine it looked like. And um, she cheats on her master and runs away. And it takes him four months before he goes and pursues her. She goes back home to Bethlehem. Um, he's in Ephraim, which is very close. I'll show you a map in a second. Um, and she stays with her father and mother. He tries to persuade her. He goes over. Um, he tries to leave. Every time he tries to leave, dad's like, stay longer. Have breakfast. You know, oh, have lunch. Or it's so late. Just stay the night. And then you'll leave in the morning. And he does this for several days. So the man gets tired. And he's like, no, we're leaving now. So they leave kind of late in the afternoon. And it's getting dark. So his servant says, you know what? We should stay in the city of the Jebusites. It's getting dark. But the Levite is very adamant about not staying anywhere that doesn't belong to Israel because he's saying, no, these are God's people and we need to be around God's people, right? So they make their way to Gibba, which is in Benjamin. And this is where everything happens. Uh, they make it to the town square and no one takes them in. And this is kind of like a violation of laws. They had hospitality laws that they listened to and no one was submitting to them. No one cared. until so finally, this man shows up and takes them in. And this is where we're picking up. Technical difficulties. Ajio, just let me know when to turn the slide. Because I'm going to read from my iPad. It's Judges chapter 19, verses 21 through 30. You are welcome at my house, the old man said. Let me supply whatever you need. Only don't spend the night in the square. So he took him in his house and fed his donkeys. After they had washed their feet, they had something to eat and drink. While they were enjoying themselves and some of the wicked men of the city surrounded the house, pounding on the door, they shouted to the old man who owned the house, bring out the man who came to your house so we can have sex with him. Did it work? <laughs> the owner of the house went outside and said to them, no, my friends, don't be so vile. Since this man is my guest, don't do this outrageous thing. Look, here is my virgin daughter and his concubine. I will bring them out to you now, and you can use them and do to them whatever you wish. But as for this man, don't do such an outrageous thing. But the men would not listen to him. So the man took his concubine and sent her outside to them, and they raped her and abused her throughout the night. And at dawn, they let her go. At daybreak, the woman went back to the house where her master was staying. He fell, fell down to the door and lay there until daylight. When her master got up in the morning and opened the door of the house and stepped out to continue on his way, there lay his concubine, fallen in the doorway of the house with her hands on the threshold. He said to her, Get up, let's go. But there was no answer. Then the man put her on his donkey and set out for home. When he reached home, he took the knife and cut up his concubine, limb by limb into 12 parts and set them into all the areas of Israel. Really dark, right? Um, so what happens next? Well, 
Uh, he chopped her up into pieces, right? And this was kind of a thing that they did in their tradition to call for war. But they didn't do this with people. They did this with animals. So this has never been, been seen before. No one's ever done this. Um, and all the tribes of Israel are living. They're very angry that this happened. So they just muster up an army very quickly. And this is an image of the Levite. I have him up there because this is how I picture it as well. Him demanding justice. And we'll get into that a little bit. Um, and all the tribes show up to Benjamin. And they're like, give us these men. We need to uh, execute justice. But the Benjamites did not listen. They were not humble. They didn't want to repent. And instead, very quickly, they assembled 26,000 swordsmen and then 700 young, able-bodied men, which is men that weren't necessarily trained in combat but wanted to fight this war. This is where their hearts are. And as a result, uh, there are three days of war. There's a lot of bloodshed. I'm not going to read the story. I, I encourage you guys to do it. Um, you'll get a lot out of it yourself, and maybe you could share what God teaches you. Also, we don't have the time. But there's a lot of bloodshed. Uh, innocent women and children are slaughtered. Um, genocide is nearly accomplished. I mean, the only people in Benjamin that survive are 600 men um, that escape during the war. And like I said, read it for yourselves. You'll get a lot. Um, but I do want us to read the last passage uh, in, this, in this scripture. It's also the last verse in the entire book of Judges. Because I feel that this ties up everything very well. Um, and you see this quote repeated throughout the book of Judges. In those days, uh, Judges 21-25. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. And I think that ties everything up because that's what this is about, right? Without God, without direction, without order, we're left to our own vices. And that's what this story is about. Now, as I was reading it, I told you it would sound familiar even if you haven't heard it, right? Because it's just like Sodom and Gomorrah. It's nearly identical. The, the same story happens. The angels come, visit Lot, and the men in the town want to have sex with them. And he's like, no, take my daughters instead. Same story. But God destroys that place. He destroys it. That's a picture of Sodom. Um, because he wasn't happy. Because this is wicked and sinful. And we all know that story. And it's so evil and so bad. But this one I don't hear too often. Right? And I think that this story is worse. Because Sodom and Gomorrah was happening, happening among people that did not know God. This story is happening among God's chosen people. Sodom and Gomorrah had already happened, which is probably why the Levite was like, we're not going to another place where there are godless people. We need to be around godly people, right? But then this story happens. So what can we learn from that? Well, first thing we need to admit is we're not above sin. We can, just, we can be just as gross as Sodom and Gomorrah. We see that in this story. And ask yourselves, what do people see when they visit our church? What do people see when they look at our lives? Are we different from the rest of the world? Or can people draw parallels between our lives and our decisions and the lives of people that don't love God? 
We must be different. We have to be. You know, again, that verse says, people did what they saw fit because they did not have a king. God has to shape our values and our convictions. It can't come from anywhere else. If we do not allow God to shape our values, we're in trouble. Even among Christians. It's not enough to spend time with each other. We have to spend time with God. God's word must mold our character. Echoing your lesson. This is a map. I wanted to show you guys this to make this point. This is a map of the 12 tribes. I don't know if you guys could see it very clearly. Do you see uh, Judah and Ephraim? Benjamin is right in between them. They are surrounded by all the tribes. They're in the middle. Yet their sin was this dark and this depraved. Even if we spend time with just each other, if we're not spending time with God, we're susceptible to sin. It's not enough to be around the church. You need to know Jesus personally. And like, I appreciate what Justin said. It could push us through a season, writing the faith of other people. Sure. But in the long run, we're running a marathon. You're not going to make it. We need to have God develop our convictions. I think I drilled that and we'll move on. The Levite. This guy is a tough character to talk about. And, and when I read this, the first time I read it was years ago, um, I kind of had a lot of sympathy for him. And after a few years of, becoming, of being a disciple, I don't really think he's a good guy. I think he's a scumbag. And I'll tell you why. He's evidence of what happens when we're religious and we don't know God. Levites were spiritual leaders. They were priests. They were responsible for leading Israel towards God. Right? But what do we see in his actions? Well, oh, and they knew their scripture very well. I'll say that. He knew what he was doing. Right? The first thing we could say is he had a concubine. That has never been God's plan. Ever. God's plan has always been for one man and one woman. A concubine is what happens when we do things our way and don't submit to God, right? And, and even just the idea of a concubine is a terrible thing. This isn't even really a person as we see in his actions. It's like a second-class citizen. This isn't a wife. There's no respect. There's no value. It's almost you're just an object. But he has a concubine, right? When she cheats on him, he doesn't do anything for four months. Does that sound like a man that loves someone? Doesn't do anything. Finally, he goes and he gets her, right? Um, When things get difficult and the men want him, what does he do? He throws her out. Doesn't protect her. Doesn't care what happens to her. And after they're done abusing her, he doesn't even care. He sees her lying on the floor as he's walking out to just go back home. Oh, you're still here. And his response doesn't tend to her. Just get up, let's go. And finally, he uses her body to make a point. Right? This is an object to him, not a person. He cuts her up, which is just gross. 
um, and sends each piece to the tribes. Now think about this. He was just visiting her family. He spent days with them and they treated him well. Their daughter was just murdered. Does he care? Does he reach out to them and give her a proper burial or funeral? Mourn with her family? No. I want to make a point with her. And he wants justice. And this is unclear to me as well because he's not harmed and he doesn't care about her. So what does he want justice for? Right? This is just his heart. He's angry. This is, this is rage. Spiritual leader. Do we see him seeking advice? Is there any evidence of prayer? Fasting? He doesn't go to God. He just acts. Spiritual leader. We can learn a lot from the Levite. If you're leading at any capacity in our church, this should be a reminder we're not above being corrupted by sin. We're not. Our spiritual titles don't really mean anything if we're not close with God. And also... As a congregation, we're family. A spiritual title doesn't mean that person's doing well. We should be considerate of that. We need to love each other enough to support people, encourage them, build them up, ask how you're doing. We're all doing this together, right? And again, we have to spend time with God. It doesn't come from anywhere else. Christ is the standard, the church is support. So when I keep pushing, we need to spend time with God. You're not gonna make it just writing other people's faith. I'm not saying stay away from your brothers and sisters. We need each other desperately, desperately. And I hope you have people in your life that you could think of when I say that, right? I hope everyone here can connect with someone and, and has people that challenge them and call them higher. I like this image a lot. Can you guys see it? Yeah. I don't know how clear it is. It's a little green. Um, those are people making a church. Yeah. And that's really the church, right? It's not the building. It's us. Right. That's who the church is. And we really need each other for this to work. Uh, we're a family. Which means we have to act right when people approach us. Right? Um, look at the actions of the town of Benjamin. What do they do when they're told, hey, this happened. You guys know what's up. Bring those men out. Do they repent? Do they submit? Do they want to take sin out of their lives? Oh. Instead, in a second, they muster up 26,000 swordsmen. So these are men that are trained in combat. And then 600 men who aren't trained in combat that are willing to fight because they want to hold on to their sin. Right? And I showed you the map, how they're in the middle. That says a lot about them as well. I mean, it says something about the other 12 tribes. How do you not know that people are sinning to this extent when you're surrounding them? Right. So that's something we could talk about. But also, we don't know what happened. We don't know if there was other events where they would try to come to this, this, this town and tell them to repent, and they refused. Right? So how do you act when your brothers or sisters correct you? Or try to challenge you? Are you just like the Benjamins and you 
rise up in army, you're ready to fight, you're ready to go to war with your brothers and sisters? Or do you repent? Do you take into consideration what they are saying? And I get it. There's, there's, I mean, there's a ton of ways to look at it. Um, some people don't like their approach. Oh, you don't understand. They came at me wrong. I hadn't had my coffee. I had a headache. It was in front of people. Okay, so there's, there's, there's space for that. But I could tell you from my experience, often when I'm challenged and I put up the gloves, it's because I'm not ready to repent. I just, I got to be humble. I got to be honest. That's usually the case. Other factors, we could fix those. You know, maybe someone comes to you and you don't like their approach. Okay, listen to what they say and then talk to them. That's another opportunity. Hey, I appreciate what you did for me, but you did it all wrong, right? Like, you offended me and you insulted me and you need to grow in this because you're going to hurt someone else. And then that person, we'll see how that person reacts, right? Um, but the point is we're a family. That's family gets in each other's business. Like, or, or are we just a room of strangers that come together and sing nice songs and hear a piece of scripture for the week? If we call ourselves family, we should be willing to fight with each other for this. We really should. And I know it's effective because I've seen it, right? Our church needed help and the burn stepped up and reached out. They asked for help. They went and asked for help. And I got to lift up Jill and Karen as well because they took a beating. It was not easy for them. They were so humble. They were so humble and so loving. And we see the growth. We see the change. You know, we see how edifying it is when we submit to God and do what he says is right instead of what we say is right. Right? Because when someone approaches us, it's so easy to get those walls up and those defenses. It's just instinct. God says be humble. It's completely different. The other thing is, this is love, right? But it's not about legalism. It's not about rules that we make up. It should really come from Christ. And we should help each other be directed towards Christ. Sometimes we're not going to have the answers. You know, I say, I've said how much I love spending time with Dan. Sometimes I have issues and he's like, I don't know what you got to do. Let's pray. That's okay. Just directing me towards God. What is God telling you? We don't have the answers. Not all of them. Amen for the ones we do. <laughs> but we don't know everything. We can't. But we have someone who does. That's Christ. The other thing we could discuss here is sin. Sin has consequences, like a lot of consequences. You know, our sin affects everyone around us. In a story, they go to war, innocent people die, women and children. You know, read it for yourself. The details of the account are just it's painful. It's painful to read. At one point, the armies are crying to God and saying, how many times must we go to war with our brothers? Our sin affects other people, no matter what it is. And our sin leads to death. Right? In this story, 
Um, the concubine's sin was of sexual nature. That's how she died. Our sin has consequences. Be careful. Yeah. Talking to you teens, you guys are at an age now where a lot of this is going to be your world. So much of it, it already is. It has consequences. There's grace. There's repentance. But there's also consequences. Be careful with your choices that you're making. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to just call you guys out. This is for the whole congregation, but I wanted you guys to hear that. Have you ever considered the cost of sin? You know, when we study the Bible, we have counting the cost of what it takes to be a disciple. Right? We do that, and we go through it. And it's like, it costs you everything. It costs you everything. You got to give up everything. And sometimes our hearts are, oh my God, I got to give up this, I got to give up that, I can't do this, I can't do that. Ugh. Have you considered the cost of what it is to sin? It costs you everything. Everything. There's no difference. The difference is what you get, right? When you run towards sin, you get perishable things, right? That's the gift you get. You get death. Sure, there's temporary pleasure. Maybe the illusion of power, control. There's a lot of things that maybe you think are there. How long do you live? 80, 90 years? If that, right? We don't know. That's the extent. But the price is the same. It costs you everything. And so sometimes when we think about that, don't just count the cost of what it is to follow Christ. Count the cost of what it is to reject Him and run towards sin. Because you're paying everything. Your very soul. Right? The scripture says that. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? It's the same price. But the value of Christ is much greater. And, and then sin affects those around us, right? I didn't touch on this enough. Because we're a church. This should really be something we're concerned about. Right? Um, the way we behave could determine someone's faith. Whether they're going to come back or not. You know? And that, that's the mission. That's why, that's why we're here. We're a big part of it, right? We're trying to go home too. But we want to bring everyone with us. And so if we're, if we're careless about these things, we're not helping the mission. We're being counterproductive. You know, there's a lot of death in this story, and we think of it, oh, well, that's their world, that's not our world. Well, not entirely true. Look at all the shootings. This is our world, too. There's people that are getting killed every day. It happens still. And we, people could argue about why. The answer is because of sin. You could put it however you want. It's sin. So there's physical death, right? But then there's spiritual death. And that should be alarming to us as well. People choose to leave God and die spiritually because of sin. And then some people, even worse in my opinion, don't even really get a chance to know God because of our sin. We have to be different. We have to be alike. I mean, think about the neighboring countries, right? I showed you the map. What were they thinking? 
They see a civil war among God's chosen people. These people think they're better than us. Didn't that happen in Sodom and Gomorrah? Look at those hypocrites. Guys, this should scare us or concern us about our, our lives and about our church. I don't want anyone to come here and say anything like that. I don't want anyone to, to compare me or, or my, my church to anything of the world that's that wicked. You know, and, and it's fine. We're going to sin. We're going to fall short. We're imperfect. That's not what it would be perfect. Well, that's the goal, but don't beat yourself up over it. We have Jesus. Amen. Right? We have Jesus to be our advocate, to continue to fight for us. We have the Spirit of God living in us that tells us to go in the right direction. This is a gift. Again, that's, that's what we receive when we give up our lives. In short, we need to love people inside and outside of the church. We need to be humble and accept help however it comes. Accept it. Listen to the person. Is what they're saying valuable at all? If not, okay, maybe that brother just has had a hard day. He's taking out on you. Amen. Let it go. But I, most times, there's something you could draw out of it. And most importantly, we have to submit to the rule of our King, Jesus Christ. I was talking an awful lot in this lesson, so I just want to close out with a scripture, and I think it'll tie in everything nicely. It's Romans 16, 19 through 23. It reads, am I using an example from everyday life because of your human limitation? I'm sorry. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin, and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness. And the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the service you're dismissed.